This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Say goodbye to performance robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customize paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Anaheim, California. In fact, at the Anaheim Marriott, uh, I've been coming, I have to admit that I've been coming to Anaheim since 1971 when I was a correspondent for Newsweek, when it was a real magazine, and covering everything west of the Mississippi. That was my first, uh, uh, well, my first exposure to Disneyland and a few other places. Uh, back then, all you knew about Anaheim was Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm, and that was about it. Um, and, of course, it has exploded since then, and it's so much more than that. We'll talk about that throughout the show. But one of the things I wanted to talk about off the top is we live in a world where every chef is a celebrity chef. We live in a world where if you're, if you're a chef, you have to have your own TV show, and you have, to have, you have to get on Chopped or Top Chef or whatever. Well, my first guest on this show is a celebrity chef for another reason, um, and that reason is a restaurant it's a historic landmark that was here for so many years called the Anaheim White House. And, but what he did, forget the menu for a second. Forget the food. Think about the mission. His name, Bruno Serrato. Bruno, welcome to the show. Grazie, Peter. Buongiorno, buongiorno, oh everybody. My God. I'm so and, happy to be with you today. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I know this is radio, but to see a chef dressed in black and gray is pretty cool. I know. I like that. I, you know, I have a good-looking chef jacket, which I like <laughs> to wear all the time. But I said mission. And what you've done over the, how many years were you doing this? This is my 13 years. April 18 will be 13 years, yeah. Doing what? Serving children in need. I serve them pasta every single night, five nights a week. It started uh, in 2005 with a first kit, and now we're serving 3,500 children every single night, five nights a week. Every single night. You know, this is probably one of the best examples of the situation that we have in this country of food insecurity, 
yes. of children going hungry every night. What fu- what what awoke you? What 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 was your wake up call? My wake up call it was uh, that day, you know, April 18, 2005. I went to a boys girls club with my mom, who she visited me from Italy, and there was a little kid, seven years old, eating potato chips. And the director say, "Do you know, Bruno? That is probably his own dinner." And I say, "Why?" He say, "We have a lot of motel in the country, not only Anaheim, all over the world. You know, yeah. a lot of family live in the motel because they can't afford or they can't move to an apartment to pay first the last month rent." And with mama, say, "Mama, said, you know, I said, the kid is on a bad situation. Potato chips is his dinner." What an Italian mom was telling me, Bruno, why don't you feed him pasta? <laughs> A start. But with the year coming up, look at more of the situation. I knew that would be my mission. And it's very interesting things so that you start about Celebrity Chef. Uh, a year ago, a little kid asked me a question. He said, Chef Bruno, are you a celebrity chef? And he was probably nine, ten years old. I said, wow, I said, it's a two kind of celebrity chef, like you mentioned, the one on TV, the one as a TV show. I'm a celebrity chef for different reasons. And I tell him, he looked at me, he's like, well, I like you better. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was an innocent question from a young sure. little kid. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to be a... Se-. But tonight, I was uh, waiting for the event to come up with you. A lady say, would you like to remember? How would you like to be remembered? I say, I the chef who was feeding pasta to the kids. That is the only things I want to be remembered when I be going to heaven. And yet, a fire happened. Back yeah. in February of 2017. That was almost a year ago, yeah. Yeah, that burned your restaurant to the ground. Yeah, and that also had another blessing because uh, I got a phone call at 5 a.m. You know, you think it's a big joke when people tell you your restaurant is on fire. And uh, I put my pants on, drive my car 100 miles an hour, get to Anaheim and uh, look at all the firemen and the police. I was devastated. I cried 10 minutes nonstop. But an hour later, watching the fire, the restaurant burning 80% of what I work, I give my love for 30 years, cry my heart out. I got a phone call from a director of Boys Girls Club too. He said, Bruno, do you need a kitchen? I was so concerned how I'm going to feed the kids tomorrow. And they say, I have a kitchen for you. That moment, my heart smile. My heart start to beat again because I stop from the moment I look at the fire and flame and smoke. But when he told me I have a kitchen, and that was like probably now, now only half two max from after the fire, I have a kitchen. I'm set. And my second thing was the crew. Two hours later, of I was preoccupied with 60 of my employees. But uh, Anaheim Marriott, the general manager called me, Disneyland president called me, Hilton called me. A lot of people come and say, Bruno, what can we do? Say hire my crew, please. They have a family to, uh, to, to feed. To feed, you know, like yeah. And they all were behind my back. And they hire all my crew was hired in thirty days time. And now the restaurant's being rebuilt. I'm opening up in three four weeks from now. And um, can you see my smile? <laughs> now I'm excited because. Uh, and you've maintained feeding of the kids from ne- that moment on. We never miss one day, and by the fact. When the fire happened, I was serving 1,800 kids. A year later, we are close to 4,000, 3,500. So ironically, the fire got you publicity you didn't even know about. Well, I had people call me from Australia, Hong Kong, Italy, obviously, because my country, Czech Republic. I was, I was, I was surprised. I mean, I was like, well, maybe I am a celebrity. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I thought it was funny because uh, they know that people would just talk so much about me. But uh, in my heart, the celebrity are the kids. That's, uh, is, I represent the kids. I represent my mom from heaven because she's the one who told me. But uh, everything I do is Is the menu passion. still pasta? It's for the kids, yeah. But uh, I do two times a week bolognese sauce, two times <laughs> a week with chicken because you need to get the protein and the fiber. I mean, I just take care also the health things of the kid, but pasta every day because kids love two things, pasta or pizza. Forget the rest. <laughs> and you know what I do with the vegetable? I'll tell you a secret. One time I served a bunch of broccoli and a pasta and the kid did not need it. And the director said, well, Bruno, they don't like to see the green stuff inside. Well, I found a trick. Now I blend the vegetable and the tomato sauce that means that they can't see the green. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. 
of Southern California. I always like to have our next guest on. He's he's a great Orange County historian. Chris Epting, how are you, sir? I'm good, Peter. Good to see you again. And good to see you again. I mean, where we are, I mean, I remember when I first came down here in 1971, this building, of course, was not here. Not really. None of these buildings were. I mean, Disneyland was maybe one-fifth the size of what it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, but what else has changed about this location? This very location? Yeah. Well, everything. I mean, the, the county, as you say, has exploded since the 70s. I mean, there was a beautiful building called the Orange County Convention Center. This kind of googie architecture right behind us where if you came in 71, you could have seen Elton John opening for Leon Russell there. That was sort of the rock and roll. How about that? Elton John opening, opening for, for Leon, Leon Russell, Russell in 71. Um, Orange County's grown in a lot of ways. You, you're talking about Disneyland, and that certainly is in 1955 when it opened. That's what made it um, an international tourist destination. But Orange County always had a lot of these kind of quirky little places to visit. Knott's Berry Farm was here before Disneyland. You had the Japanese Deer Park. You had Lion Country Safari. You had, um, you know, this whole myriad of Buffalo Ranch, the Alligator Farm. Orange County was full of these. Is the Alligator Farm still here? It's not, but you know what? It was right down the street from Knott's Berry Farm. It was going out of business in the late 50s. Knott's Berry Farm, what they decided to do to help them out, they have a famous fried chicken restaurant there. They would take all the so chicken. So alligators t- taste just like chicken. <laughs> they, they would take <laughs> the excess chicken at the end of the night, and for five years they kept the Alligator Farm open, feeding them the excess chicken. So, then what happened? Well, then then it just got too out of control. The alli- they had too many alligators. <laughs> the alligators and not big. said, you know what, we can only do this for so long. But, uh, but yeah, Orange County has always had this kind of interesting, quirky appeal, I think, because of we had so much space down here and so much room to do these things that people would come from Los Angeles to visit strange amusement parks and, and things like that. But more than just the amusement parks, you, you, you mentioned the space. I mean, look at the Irvine com- the company. I mean, look at the space they had to play with. Orange County still has, I like to hike a lot, and Orange County still has a remarkable amount of open space. I hike almost every weekend, and I can get lost. You can get lost and forget where you are. There are no cars, no phone poles. We've got great mountains regions that are wonderful for things like that. But now back to Anaheim, mm-hmm. where we are right now has history. Well, where we are right now, we, uh, it's a nice hotel, but right around us, okay, Angel Stadium is not too far away. And, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. I know you are as yep. well. People don't realize because the Angels have been here since 1966, okay? Angel Stadium is now not— Now, Dodgers a, came out in 58? 58, 57, 58. First season yeah. was 58. Yeah. But uh, Angel Stadium is now the fourth oldest ballpark in the major leagues, believe it or not. It's Fenway, Wrigley, Dodger, and Angel. You're kidding me. No. And but people don't realize, though, before the Angels, there was still baseball history here. Where you're sitting right now, Babe Ruth played a game in 1924 against a team led by Walter Johnson 10 minutes from here. Okay? Jackie Robinson, five minutes from here, filmed the Jackie Robinson story in 1953. Joe DiMaggio played five minutes the other direction. Again, Orange County, I wrote a whole book about Orange County baseball history. Yeah, we talked about it. And it is, you know, what's happened here is very notable. Amazing. Of course, not too far from here, Huntington Beach, where the last time I saw you, Surf City. Surf City. I mean, you know, Dean Torrance lives over there from Jan and Dean. He was on the show. He was. That's right. I mean, Orange County gave us the Righteous Brothers. But one of, I think, my favorite landmark, and it's, it's tied to baseball. Um, again, five, everything's five minutes from where we're very central right now where we are, but is a, a final resting place of the man who wrote the third most popular song in American history. Any guesses what that might be? Well, first of all, I have, well, it can't be Happy Birthday. It's number two. Happy Birthday's number two? Mm-hmm. I thought that would be number one. Number one is the national anthem, and number three is Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Okay, there we go. And the guy who wrote Take Me Out to the Ball Game is laid to rest practically in the shadow. With peanuts and Cracker Jacks, I hope. Well, check this out. His yeah. name is Jack Norworth, okay? He writes it in 1908 in New York City. Um, becomes a big hit. He's the guy that wrote Shine on Harvest Moon. That was what made him the toast of Broadway. Take Me Out to the Ball Game becomes a huge hit, but what we sing at games is only the chorus of the song. He wrote a little three-act play about a guy who wants to take a girl to a Broadway show. She doesn't want to go to a show. She, she's a baseball fan. And when we sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, that's her saying to him, I don't want to go to a show. If you want to win my heart, you'll take me out to the ball game. They should come back and they should revive that. Well, check it out. He moves here in the late 30s, in the early 30s, passes away in the late 50s, and is laid to rest there. I went to photograph his grave for my book, and when I noticed his grave was really kind of forgotten, um, I gave a talk about it, and a bunch of fans started raising money, and we actually placed a marker in his honor there. Uh, Raleigh Fingers and I had the uh, had Raleigh Fingers, there. Raleigh Fingers, big picture. 
and we had a ceremony there. I figured because he had the old time mustache, he was the perfect guy to do it. He did. And so now, if you go to the the graveyard, there's a beautiful marker in his honor, and you can see Angel Stadium from the markers. So it's a interesting thing. And again, people, again, I I have this running sort of concept. People don't give Orange County its due in terms of historic things that have happened here. You're a big music fan, right? I am. Okay, so another five minutes, literally five minutes from here, in the mid-50s, there was a, an African-American singer named Richard Berry up in L.A. He comes down here to go to an old place called the Harmony Hut Ballroom. There's a band they're playing that he likes called the Rhythm Rockers. Well, they put their minds together the night. They write a song, okay? What rock and roll classic was born backstage at the Harmony Hut Ballroom in 55? Louie Louie. By the way, which has been debated for years as to what the actual lyrics were. And is it profane or, right, there's a lot of mystique. Uh, let me just help you out. Every night at 10, I, again. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what, what I say. Yeah, right. But, but that was born. That's another Orange County story. So, uh, again. And by the way, but you haven't answered the question. Was it profane? I think it was. I do, too. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah. Um, and it helps, certainly, the, the mystique of that song. Oh, it song got me through high school. That. What are you talking about? Every, every kid in my class was going, did you hear that song? Did you hear that? Because we were, like, giggling. Yeah, well, it was. But, but again, the, the thought that it was born here, it, it's, it's, I love the fact that the county has these sort of great pop culture legacies. And it's fun to sort of reveal those and tell people who grew up here, even, which I didn't. I grew up in New York. But to, to educate people who live here is always kind of fun, too. Are the Angels going to do okay this year? Um, you know, they signed one of the most talked about prospects in a long time from Japan, Mr. Otani there. And I, I think they're going to be great. I'm a big Angels fan. Uh, you know, it's been a while since that 2002 World Series championship. So we are due. And well, I, think they'll be, I think they'll be being good hands. My time. recollection of the Angels was the guy who dropped the ball in center field. Which guy? Well, he ended up killing himself. Oh, Donnie Moore. Well, he yeah. no, the pitcher who gave up the home run. You're yeah. talking about 86 yeah. in the playoffs. He gave up the home run to Dave Henderson. Right. And that that was tragic. I mean, I mean, as a Met fan that year, that's the year I was at the game with Bill Buckner at Shea Stadium. Okay, famous let's game discuss six. that because I actually have an autographed picture of that play, of the mm -hmm. ball going under his legs, mm -hmm. signed by both Bill Buckner and Mookie Wilson. Good for you. And now, for those people who watch the show with Curb Your Enthusiasm... <laughs> You must right, go yeah. Google this Brilliant. and Netflix it and find it with Larry David. He does a show in which his guests that week are Mookie Wilson and so Bill funny. Buckner. It is so funny. And I won't give away the end, but I'm, I'm still laughing. Hey, a little bit of baseball trivia. I was at that game, and one thing I noticed is Game that six, by the way. Even if Buckner made the play, the pitcher, Bob Stanley, didn't run over to cover first. So there would have been no play on Wilson. The game would have been tied. It wouldn't have been over. Either way. But it wasn't Buckner's fault. Buckner well, the game was, was a, the game was tied on that play, and then it was over. Well, but, two runs scored yeah, on yeah. the error. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying if Buckner had made the play and nobody was at the cover, then only one run was scored. So Buckner got, got such a short, such a raw deal on that. They were uh, death threats. Terrible. People, uh, he could, and little-known fact of baseball history, which has nothing to do with Anaheim, but I'm throwing it in anyway— the next year for the for preseason, the first game the Mets play because it was scheduled that way, the Red Sox. Yeah, and they played it at Shea Stadium. And when Buckner got up to bat, he got a standing O. Yeah. <laughs> I would tell people, the baseball fans, if you've never been to Angel Stadium, it is one of the most delightful um, experiences in Major League it's Baseball. It's a pleasant evening. It is a wonderful evening. It's easy to get in. It's easy to get out. The sight lines are fantastic. I don't think there's a bad seat in the place. And I have friends that will come from New York and say, "Do you know how spoiled you are that you can drive?" I live in Huntington Beach. 15 minutes door to door and be in my seat um, for a decent price. It's, it's a wonderful night. And out. little known fact for people who haven't come to California in a long time. Who's the coach? He's a former Dodger. Former Dodger. Mike Sosha, who's now the longest-running coach in the majors, like something like 21 years. That something. never happens. No, it's, 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 a great, it's a great product. And, uh, you know, we have Mike Trout, who's certainly a talked-about guy worth watching. So I think it'll be a good season this year. For people who've either never been to Anaheim or are visiting you for the first time and you bring them here, what's the one, other than the marker to the guy who wrote, take me out to the ball game, what's the one thing you show them that they're not expecting that's a big surprise? I go over to Santa Ana, right near Anaheim, and I show them an old YMCA building. And I say, in that basement there, back in the early 20s, an, an idea was born. That was where Toastmasters International <laughs> was birthed by a guy who didn't like the fact that the young men in the group couldn't be good public speakers. And he took it upon himself, Ralph Smedley. And I love public speaking, and I love good public speakers. And that, to me, again, is another little-known thing, little spark of imagination that grew out of a basement window in an old YMCA building. Isn't it interesting, the guy who started Toastmasters General had a name Smedley. <laughs>
There's a name on a page at the airport. Mr. Smedley? <laughs> Mr. Lady? No, okay. But I also take him to the Huntington Beach Pier. is also, to me, one of the great... It's, it's the longest and fishing all, pier. And all doable from Anaheim. Oh, 15 minutes from Anaheim. Yeah. Anaheim is wonderfully centrally located. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. I can't come to, to Anaheim without talking about Disneyland. And my next two guests, that's right, two. I get two for the price of one here. Uh, know a lot about it because they're the co-founders. First of all, they're moms. They got kids. They're sisters. And they're the co-founders of Magic Kingdom Mamas. Now, if necessity is the, the mother of invention... Julie Mooney, Julie Mooney and Emily Sims, I'm assuming that's why you started this. Yes, uh, actually. <laughs> it is. At first, it started as a way for us to, we both lived kind of equidistant to Disneyland, and we found a way to meet in the middle because we both had kids that are cousins, and we wanted them to hang out every week. Are you Disney addicts? Oh yeah! We, Come on, we admit are. it. We are. Is there is there a ten been. step program or something? Like that? I think if at this point is, we need it. Yeah, if there, if there is, is, we haven't we haven't made it there yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we just met in the middle every week, and it turned into uh, you know a thing as we started going. Family and friends kept asking us. Just questions. What's Because there's so many guidebooks. I mean, there's so sure. many guidebooks. There's, there's a Disney behind the scenes. There's the off yeah. off unofficial Disneyland guidebook. Yes. Where do you fit in? We we cater mostly to, you know, Disney has a huge, obviously a huge group of parents of young kids who go. And so we've kind of found this niche of, you know, parents with little kids, probably ages eight and under, who I think the guidebooks didn't cater to as much because guidebooks and um, things of that nature cater to like the big thrill rides and stuff. But what about the people with the little ones, the toddlers running around? What Not, do you do with them all day? Where do they guys, nap? And you guys came here when you were little because your yes. parents took you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they came, survived. Yeah. We came about <laughs> once a year. That was our big trip every year. Um, but now we go anywhere from one to three times a week with when okay, you okay. Let me yeah. just say you're just, out of control. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a little. Just a little. But we love it. It never gets old to us. Okay, and so the questions that people are asking you, obviously yeah. parents, mm -hmm. right, who are bringing their young kids. Yeah. What's the most asked question? Hmm. How do uh, could I make a suggestion? Sure. Would it be like, how do I avoid the lines? Yeah. Yeah. Would that be one? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And what do you tell them? Well, cuz they have fast passes and they have They do, but if you're going to go to Disneyland, our number one recommendation for getting the most out of your day is arrive early. Because in the morning when the park opens, the lines are the shortest. A lot of the, the rides for kids don't offer fast pass. So you can get so many things done in that first hour when the park opens. And kids wake up early. Yeah, okay. I mean, but, but to be devil's advocate, I give that same advice for people who are flying out of airports. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so to clarify, when Emily, Emily's an early bird, she yes. always has been. When she says arrive early, she means arrive obnoxiously early. Like it is dark outside. You are the first person in the parking lot. Like So you, basically you're homeless and camping out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but there, I but mean, it's I do so it, worth it. I you do it one to three times a week, and I always have success with getting on what we want to get on in the morning as far uh, okay. as rides go okay now you've opened yeah. that door what do you want to get on in the morning <laughs> well you got to go to Fantasyland first and do all the kiddo rides peter pan uh snow white dumbo those rides actually have some of the longest you know wait times out of see park, for me it's pirates so. of the caribbean I mean, yes. that's i'm, that I'm, I'm old school yeah. which is great but in the morning that has a short line but peter pan you will see parents with children in hand sprinting to that ride in the yeah. morning because it's you know, notoriously a 30 to 40 minute line for a less, I think it's less than one minute, the entire ride. Yeah. And it's so nostalgic. it's, but it's, That's yeah, bad. it's for the nostalgia. Parents yeah. remember it from when they were kids. They want to share it with their kids. So it's this really short ride, lots of magic packed into a short ride, but you want to get that one out of the way first. Yeah. So. Okay. So now I have to ask the devil's advocate question. Sure. <laughs> what ride sucks? 
Um, Roger come, come Rabbit's on, cartoon Roger spin. Rabbit will guaranteed to make your child cry. Yeah. At least our kids. Yeah. Our kids come off that crying every time. We go, why did we do this? Because it's just. What, you keep doing it? It's, no, we no. haven't in a while. It's dark and it's loud and it spins really fast. So especially with. Just kind of painful, to be honest. <laughs> it just hurts when you're yeah. on it. it. It's not comfortable. So So that's not one of your highly no. recommended no. rides. Is, no. there, is there another one that you go avoid? Um, what's another one we avoid? Uh, oh my God. Uh, okay. Finding Nemo. Oh yeah. Is for small children. They love it. It's super magical. If you have any issues with claustrophobia, do not get on that ride. It is a submarine. It's mostly from what you can see it is submerged underwater. And for, for me, I'm very claustrophobic. So I just when they close that hatch it is like you were just praying the whole time and counting down like while your kid is okay, delighted I, and so happy but for me it's for people with claustrophobia issues don't do okay it. <laughs> excuse me for asking stupid question number four you know they're going to close the hatch yeah you know you think you're going to be underwater how many times have you taken this ride <laughs> i actually since i've had kids i've only done it twice and yeah. two times is, and i have a six-year-old and two times is enough for me my husband is gracious enough to take one for the he team and he'll do it but yeah. for me it's just it's not worth it you know so and, and I, we've heard that from a lot of people those two rides also roger rabbit and finding nemo yeah have a long line typically so there's people who wait you know wait this long time and they get on the ride and you're like oh that wasn't worth it at all so yeah. anyway okay so now are- <laughs> let's 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 turn the tables here yeah. what's the one ride there that surprised you in the most pleasant and uplifting way that you weren't expecting oh First, California. Okay, so California Adventure. Um, I think you got to go to that part because everything is more new there. At Disneyland, yeah. it's like we love. It's all nostalgia-based. Yeah. I think for us, yeah. it's rides you remembered as kids. But I remember when Soren came out say, at Soarin California Adventure. That's now Soren around the world. That ride is like I felt like the smile did not leave my face the entire time. Yeah. It's like pure happiness, and my kids love it. Like our everybody who at least who I've talked to has like just this, you go, Oh, you got to go on Soren. Cause even it's like worth the wait in line. It's a yeah. long enough ride to where you feel like it's worth the investment yeah. of the line weight and all that. You say you're coming here two to three times a week. Yes. Yeah. Slowing down a little it's bit because with, I'm pregnant. So and there's, there's <laughs> but, a lot. Our kids okay. I, no, but we come back. I want to tell you about my Disney experiences and get your take on that. We're okay. talking to Julie Mooney and Emily Sims who obviously are about to be arrested for staying too long at the fair <laughs> at Disneyland. Unbelievable. We talked about rides that you love, right? We talked about the crowds. I want to tell you my story. Okay. When Disney World in Florida was celebrating its 25th anniversary, I went down to cover it as a journalist. And, uh, and that's when Michael Eisner was running uh, Disney, and I knew Michael because I used to report to him when I, when I worked at Paramount. Mm. So we had a long history there. And... Um, so I'm there covering the story, and somebody from Disney comes up to me, and I wasn't ready for this. And they said, and they said it just like this, you know, if you want, you can go into that house and have a private moment with Mickey. I said, I can have a private moment with Mickey? I have my camera crew there. I said, okay, let's go. So we go in, and there's Mickey doing his like this, right? He's just yeah. you know, leaning left and right. And I've got my camera rolling. My, ca- my crew is there. I got my microphone. I had no idea the mouse didn't talk. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a very private moment with Mickey because I'm just talking to myself. So when we when we finished that very short interview and the camera was off, I went over to the mouse and I said, excuse me, but when you take this outfit off, are you a man or a woman? Yeah. And these two huge Samoan bodyguards came up to me and said, sir, Mickey's the man, Minnie's the woman, please step away from the mouse. <laughs> We should try that next and, time. And I'm like, Disney. are you serious? <laughs> so then, about 10 minutes later, I'm interviewing Eisner. Yeah. And I tell him the story. He says, you think that's crazy? He says, I'm Michael Eisner. And we were doing an event in which the event was over, and I was supposed to get into the limo with Mickey. I get in one side, he gets in the other. And we wave and we drive off. So now I'm in the limousine. It's just me and the mouse. Yeah. So I lean over and says, hi, Michael Eisner. And the mouse just wouldn't talk. He said, it's Michael Eisner, the chairman of... Mouse wouldn't even talk to him because the rules are you can't leave character. Yeah. Right? They're good Mm -hmm. at it. Have the the mice, I'll use the plural, ever talk to you? No. No. Ah, ah. No. We've heard noises come out of there. You've heard voices? Sometimes you'll hear like a a slight, like when they 
like a chuckle that they like forget to stifle or yeah. something. Like if your kid, you know. So if you actually crack a really good joke, the mi- the mouth yeah. might laugh. That is the key. Yes. And they make it like when they give your kids they like a hug a and a kiss, noise. they make like a kiss and they'll go like like give a well. They have to kind of do that. Yeah. 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 So there's yeah, like yeah. something there. Uh, Walt Disney World actually this year they debuted like a talking Mickey. But I heard that they're getting rid of it. Really? I just heard it today. They oh had a talking Mickey. We're breaking Mickey. news? Are we breaking yeah, news? We're breaking news. news. <laughs> I just heard it today. <laughs> There's no longer going to be talking Mickey. Ah. They, they tested it at Disneyland just a couple months or ago. California Adventure. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. yeah, California Adventure. and It was pretty did. magical, but that's... It's oh. pretty neat. Anyway, you heard it here. They're not you know doing what? it anymore. We, we've now we've now talked in the air for about 10 minutes, and I just heard the first word magical for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> That's the it's because we use it all the time. We need some new vocabulary, right? Now, you're pregnant. <laughs> yes. How do you do Disneyland pregnant? Um, you just take it slow. You there's, there's still a lot of rides you can do while you're pregnant. I mean, anything that doesn't have any sudden jerks, jolts, movements like that. So Most of the rides stick, in Fantasyland. Yeah, we stick you can to Fantasyland. Pirates, even mm-hmm. we go on Jungle Cruise, um, but I I eat a lot. <laughs> There's a lot to eat there. Okay, like, 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 stop tour. right there. Yeah. Stop right there. Let's talk about the legacy of Disney food, can yes. we? Yeah. Yes. Okay. The That's legacy an of Disney. One. It, well, it, it is now. Yes. Yeah. Legacy of Disney food was it sucked. Yeah. yeah. Come on, it did. It was like fair food. It yeah, was like, bad. Yeah. And, are people still walking around with these turkey drumsticks too? They, they are. are, and oh. you know why? It's because they've. Because of uh, now this new era of Instagram food, they they photograph really well. You know what I mean? When you have like a drumstick the size of your face, it makes for a good photo. So there's a lot, you know, that's why I think people like that. Yeah. I don't know if it's they enjoy like eating the entire yeah. turkey leg as much as they enjoy taking the photo to say. Now there's merchandise, a shirt that says like a guy turkey holding leg. a turkey leg at yeah. Disneyland. There's merchandise that caters to their popular Everything in this country has become yeah. branded. But yes. Yes. <laughs> In Disney's defense, yes. the food's gotten better. It's so gotten good. a lot better. It, Even since we started mm-hmm. Magic Kingdom Mamas, the food has really gone up quite a few notches. And they, they've and catered we, to food, like to quote foodies yeah. now. So there's yeah. um, there's something for everybody, really. And they cater to people with food allergies, and you know, if you're vegetarian or vegan, you, there's a lot of things that they just there's a lot more options yeah. than what you used to have now i know because you guys are like completely off the deep end when it comes to <laughs> attendance numbers do you have any idea how many times you've gone we don't we figured there it is... out there's one one i think it was last year there i don't know I mean, we had looked at our three yeah. times a week for i don't know however That's many weeks time. There is a way weeks. you can look at your annual pass record and see how many. I'm assuming. You to do that. Stupid me. I'm assuming like you have 100. an annual pass. We do. Yes, <laughs> yeah. and it was hundreds of times. Like, I mean, it's in the hundreds. Yeah. So can I be the guy at the turnstile who looks at you and go, "Really? <laughs> You're back? <laughs> really?" There are people, especially Emily. There are people who recognize Emily because she is such an early, like the the parking attendant. The, the I don't <laughs> yeah, know his name. No, it's, it's, called, guy. it's called the midnight shift security. Right yeah, now. so they, you know, they see her coming and they kind of give. It's like a very familiar wave. Yeah. There was times we convinced that some of the characters that came out in the morning knew Emily and Ray. Just like they just, I don't know. I think yeah. they recognize her because she's the first person running through the gate pregnant with a child or not that's okay now yeah. let's, let's turn to a serious subject one that yeah. i'm actually pursuing as a story right now Sorry. we're doing a story right now on something called miracle flights i'll mm-hmm. explain what that means it's the abuse of the privilege of having a wheelchair at the airport uh, how many people who say i need a wheelchair because they already know the scam mm-hmm. that they can check in early mm-hmm. they get to the gate early and somebody pushes them on the plane early. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we call these miracle flights is because when the plane lands, it's a miracle. Can they, yeah. they can run. Mm-hmm. Okay? Disney's had that problem. Yes. And we've seen it. Yep. And they've actually cracked down it. So when I, when I was in high school in the early or late 90s, early 2000s, I remember. You were in high school in the 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I graduated 2003. I graduated. I'm checking into a home. <laughs> but there, were, I remember kids, you know, using. In high school, everybody has all these injuries and neat from sports. And I remember kids borrowing each other's like knee braces. I'm going to go to Disneyland because you could get in, you could skip the line, or they would roll you up the back way to the ride that you wanted to go to. And now, so everybody's claiming an injury. Yeah. So I think they've gotten better, and also. I Have you ever done it? No, never. never. Okay, fine. We're not rule breakers, no. though. I think I would be the one to get caught. So yeah. I just, I, yeah. But you considered it. Yeah. No, ah. never. <laughs> I never did in high school. But I know that, I'm sure it happens every day, but we do know that they've gotten more, um, they've gotten stricter, like City Hall has gotten stricter on giving out passes, like disability passes that there's just more of a vetting process now that exists than 
what existed before. Because people were abusing the system. Sure, yeah. yeah. Even, you know, yeah, for sure. I mean, does that really get you to the front of the line? It, they've changed the system a little bit where it gets you through a line a lot faster. So you kind of get a return time. It's sort of like a fast pass, but it works a little, a little quicker than a fast pass. Mm -hmm. And for so people with family, line, like yes. for, for people with family members with disabilities, it's amazing. It's yeah. for kids with no, sensory for issues. Have, for and people who yeah. have a legitimate need, why right. not? Right. Yeah, it's yeah. wonderful, but it is it is a bummer to see, yeah, people abuse it. We haven't seen it that much, but also we haven't been, you know, scouting it out, like being like, oh, that yeah, person we don't got know off there. Who is well, let, 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 let's face it; yeah. it's it's not necessary to use the scam if you arrive at the park at four thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought True. I'd mention that. Sure. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel and playing the radio with no particular place to go. I've been in California since I'm 21 years old, um, which meant I had to have a car, which meant I had to drive. And, you know, I've been stuck in traffic since I'm 21. Excellent. Thanks a lot. My next guest knows a little bit about that because she's the executive director of the Anaheim Transportation Network, Diana Kotler. Diana, is it getting better? I think it is. Uh, I have to be hopeful that what we're doing here in Anaheim will not only benefit our city, but will actually be used a role model. A role model for other destinations, of course. I mean, people don't realize, you know, we, we talk about, you know, there's the HOV lane and, and we talk about, you know, th things like you know, the, the Elon Musk's tube and, and, and high-speed rail, which we may not ever see in our lifetime. But they're the fastest-growing form of transportation in America, I always surprise people with it. They never get it. It's bus. I think because it's most flexible. You can change the routes. You can change where you're going. You can determine that. You can, almost, mo you can, you move, can move your assets. assets. You can exactly. Move your assets. Uh, even though rail moves more people because it's just bigger capacity, but the bus is more flexible when it comes to the form of public transportation. The last figure I saw was something like 3,200 individual routes in this country that people don't realize are served by bus. And as I mentioned, because it's flexible, because you can adjust, you can change, you can change your hours of operation, and you can decide where you stop almost on the spot. In Anaheim here, specifically for the resort, out of those 3,000-plus routes, we run 23. And, uh, but that's 23 compared to what a couple of years ago? It's, it's grown. It has quadrupled since we started in 2003. We started with eight routes, and now we're operating 23 and moving up close to 10 million people per year. And how far do these buses take you? Well, we are in Anaheim. We do things the Anaheim way, and our service. What does that mean? mean <laughs> it's the Anaheim way. We do things to make sure that our destination continues to move. And I literally mean that. Um, as I mentioned, we transport 10 million people. Imagine if you had 10 million cars on the streets, on the road, just around here, Disneyland and Anaheim Stadium, the Honda Center, and Center City. So our purpose in life is to make sure that you never have to use a car, that you use those routes, you use our buses, and you get around in the most convenient and cost-effective manner. What's your biggest challenge then? Because not every bus is going to go on the freeway. That is correct. Our buses do not go on the freeway. Our biggest challenge is actually not having enough buses. Uh, and at certain dates and times and points of a day, we just don't have enough. The people actually I kind of like going to Disneyland. You have to get used to waiting in line in order to get on the bus and, uh, and then get to the park. But if I'm coming to Anaheim mm -hmm. and I want to take a bus, where do I get on the bus? At all hotels in Anaheim, all 72 properties that are located in, uh, in the city of Anaheim, Anaheim Resort, a part of our system, um, they actually bought in and created that and system. And do you have hop-on, hop-off? It is a hop-on, hop-off. For $5 a day, you can hop and off and off and off all day long, <laughs> <laughs> anywhere you want to go. So. And for $10 a day, you just move in. Exactly. Okay, just double checking. <laughs> Why not? Of course. Of course. But, but the bottom line is that's taking X number of cars off the road. Mm -hmm. And it's allowing you to, you know, do other things. 
Well, it also provides the establishments, whether it's Disney or the hotel, to use their land more properly. So they don't have to build as much parking. They don't have to create areas where people have to leave their cars behind. They can actually use the land in a more productive manner. They can build more rooms. They can expand their convention centers and so forth. Just because people don't have to park, they can hop on the bus and go. And, of course, in certain cities you have gallery nights on Thursday nights and you have other events that you can do, and that, that provides that for them as well. Absolutely. Uh, Angel... Uh, season is about to open. We'll be serving the Angel Stadium. Currently, we're ser- serving the Honda Center. Precisely, it's a hop on, hop off. So the entire city of Anaheim is able to use our service. Whether you're a resident, employee, you're you're here for a visit, a family doesn't really matter. Our our purpose in life is to make sure that you never have to drive a car. And as long as I don't have to drive a bus, I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't drive a bus either. <laughs> talking to Diana Cotler, the executive director of the Anaheim Transportation Network. Diana, thank you for coming by. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So you can get there from here? Yes, we can. Okay. And you will. (laughs) Whether I like it or not. Good on. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. My next guest writes for the Orange County Register. Still happy to see we have newspapers in this country. And, uh, uh, and, and I encourage you to, I, I go so, I get so angry at my own staff. I say, are you reading a daily newspaper? Anybody who doesn't read a newspaper in my staff becomes a news item as they depart from the staff. Because you'll learn so much. And my next guest knows all about that because she writes for the Orange County Register. As I said, Marla Jo Fisher, how are you? Hi, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so you, how, long you, how long have you lived in Anaheim? I've been in Anaheim for about 25 years. And how long have you been writing for the paper? I've been writing for the paper for about 25 years. So they haven't found out yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is this. You write some funny stuff. I mean, it's about lifestyle and living in Orange County, but also... A little bit of Disneyland, too. Well, right now I'm covering Disneyland full-time as my full-time job. So basically I write a column once a week about uh, being a mom, being a single mom. But then the rest of the time I'm spending, you know, eight hours a day at Disneyland just writing about Disneyland. Now, you adopted two kids, right? Yes, correct, out of the foster care system, yeah. How long ago was that? That was about 15 years ago. So are they, are they're the kid, young adults are, are, now. Are yeah. the kids still going to Disneyland? They loved My daughter has an <laughs> annual pass to Disneyland. You know why? Because she's in Orange County, and that's what kids do in, in Orange County, right, is they have annual passes to Disneyland, like about a million other people. Oh, my God. Do you have an annual pass? I do. Well, my my company buys me an annual pass. When I when my kids were Because little, you have to cover the breaking news. Because it's an important job, you know. Well, you can laugh, but actually... Dis- I'm not laughing. It's, it is a big news item. You know, Disneyland it's is... It's a the, different zip code. Come on. You know, Disneyland is the largest employer in Orange County. Yeah. And, in fact, one of the largest employers in the entire region. So, you know, so there's a news beat, and then also there's just fun stuff to write about. All right, so how do you have fun at Disneyland? How do I? Well, you know, here's my problem. I get motion sick, so I'm like the most (laughs) hilarious person ever to be a Disneyland reporter, but I like to... There goes Marla Jo throwing up again on Magic... Do you know what the fun thing to me about Disneyland is? There's so many weird people there. People love Disneyland. There's so many people that are such devoted Disney fans that there's literally a guy who goes every single day. He's gone every single day for six years. And, and you've done a story on him, of and I've, we've, we've done stories on him in the past. There's people who will camp outside stores for hours and hours to get one particular pair of Minnie Mouse ears. And I just find these people to be endlessly hilarious. Have you met my senior producer no. on the radio show? No, I have not. Yeah, you just say the word Disney, and she's sort of like smiles in the most demonic demented way it's just it's a, it's a sickness i think well you know disney is arguably the most sophisticated entertainment co- company in the world because they figured it out right yeah and they, they know out the science of it the science of it and they they're brilliant both at the marketing of what they do and they're brilliant at how to make people have fun and you know and it's paid off big time for them okay so you know how many people are coming to Disneyland. Just the pass holders alone is, what, a million or something? Yeah. Right? Approximately, I mean, yeah. That's crazy. So 
they've got hotels on the property. Right. Right. That didn't used to be the case. Right. You had, I mean, this hotel was a Disneyland hotel, but it wasn't a Disney hotel. Uh, but what's changed dramatically for you, let's say, at Disneyland in the last, let's say, three or four years? Well, it's getting ever more crowded. You've actually had... They have to manage people. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I don't know when the last time you went to Disneyland was, but it's absolutely phenomenal. The crowds are phenomenal. Right now, it's supposed to be the off-off season, and still, you know, you couldn't swing a cat in there without hitting somebody. Um, Is that I, a ride, by the way, the <laughs> swing the cat ride? I, I think that, I think you've got something there right now. Yeah, but it's I'm a actually small I'm going to be writing soon about the Disneyland cast, but that's a totally opposite. That's a totally different subject. Now, have you ever, since you're such a Disneyland fanatic yourself, have you ever been one of the characters? I have never been. You know, they got, no, I have not been a character. And you know they have a rule now that people can't come in character costumes, so they can't pretend to be characters. Because people were doing that. They were showing in. up as Mickey. Exactly. They were going in in character <laughs> costumes and signing autographs. And stuff. I hate How could you sign an autograph with that big white mitt? <laughs> That's, you know, that's, only, that's, and by that's the way, kind of Mickey, only, Mickey only has three fingers. What are you talking about? Maybe Mickey doesn't sign autographs, but that was my kids' favorite thing when they were little was having their autograph books and getting their autographs, you know, of all the characters. All right, so it's getting more crowded. They it's have to phenomenally figure, crowded. Do you think there will come a time when Disneyland is open 24 hours a day? You know, it is open. Believe it or not, it is open 24 hours a day on very rare occasions for special occasions. You know, um, and they get tremendous crowds because it's such an unusual happening. I have wondered myself, and I've never talked to them about it, why don't they just have extended hours? Why don't they just open, you know, it's from 6 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that. They have to close sometime because they have to clean it. They have maintenance. Right, exactly. You know, and, because and if, Pirates, of, if Pirates of the Caribbean isn't working, I'm not going. And, you know, there's a lot of maintenance on those rides. I mean, tremendous amount oh, yeah. of maintenance all the time, yeah. And safety, too. Exactly, right. But you would think as the numbers grow, sometimes exponentially, they're going to be confronted with a challenge of keeping the park open longer. You know, I'm and then you reach the point of diminishing returns. Exactly. You know, I mean, first and foremost, they're a business, and they want to make money, and they're making money hand over fist right now. I mean, they have— They've been making money hand over fist since 1955. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, they, they mint money. They mint money, yeah. I mean, they have a 20% annual, you know, profit. They were the first ones to realize mm -hmm. that at the end of the ride— you can't just leave the ride. You have to go through the merchandising of the ride. That, and, you know, and whenever I go someplace now that doesn't do that, I'm like, wow, they really need to step this up. They need to, you know, have the gift shop at the end of the, at the end of whatever you're walking out of, right? You mean you're encouraging that? <laughs> well, it's, you know. Uh-huh. It's a thing. It's a thing. So how much Disney memorabilia do you own? You know, I gave away a lot of my swag. And the reason is that many years ago, I covered Disneyland. I covered Disneyland from the time they started planning for the new theme park and building downtown Disney. And they send a, they send reporters and media tremendous amounts of swag. I don't know if you ever get any swag, but it's just phenomenal. No, all the swag, swag I get from Disney goes to my producer. You should know that by now. <laughs> well, they send you phenomenal amounts of swag. And, and the swag is actually quite valuable because even if it's a crappy little tote bag, it's a limited edition special media crappy little tote bag. And you could actually turn around and <laughs> sell that thing and make a ton of money. Off so it. how's your eBay life coming? So what I actually did was turn it over to the Anaheim History Room, which has a collection of all that stuff. And so now that I'm covering Disneyland again, I started collecting more swag. And so now I got to find a a nice nonprofit to donate it all to. Uh, there's a spirit. Yeah. But I mean, they are, they're just not just a theme park, they're a manufacturer. Yes, they are. And, you know, their stuff, a lot of their stuff comes from China. So, you know, but the thing is, is that they really know how to control their their media and their presence, you know, and that's one of the reasons why they're so incredibly successful. They have these media events where they bring in the media, they bring in bloggers, they bring in mommy bloggers, and they are very, very good at uh, getting people to say nice things about them. It's funny how you bring in people uh, all day long and give them, you know, free tickets and free food, and it's funny how they, they like that and they tend to write nice things about you. Really? Yeah, it's phenomenal how that happens. Have you been eating well at Disney? You know, I can't say. One thing I'll tell you that has changed in Disneyland over the years since I last covered it is the food has gotten a lot no, better. No, no, I've talked about yeah. it earlier in the show. The food used to suck. Yeah, yeah. And it's gotten better. It's gotten a lot better. There's some sophisticated restaurants now. In you Well, know. in fact, at, at Disney World, I would I've had dinner at the Contemporary Resort there uh, up on the top. It's excellent. You know, and I, I wasn't expecting it. 
I was expecting, you know, bad jello and, you know, the turkey drumstick. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.